gentlemen welcome to another episode of the message is moving we got another one today talking about breaking the generation curse of pure of poor communication in business now why am i speaking on this topic today well i'm sure you heard the term this is why i don't support black owned businesses that phrase is coincided by a stigma that has been damaging black owned businesses for quite some time Although there have been a growing number of black entrepreneurs, the lack of acceptable customer service, professionalism, and resources have been common complaints for many patrons. Now, does this apply to all black-owned businesses? No, but I feel this is a topic where we can diagnose the problem from within. For any inspiring entrepreneur, if you know the curse of bad business, that you take steps towards breaking the cycle. For any existing owner, manager, or anyone in leadership, you can rectify this issue now. Now, these flaws that I pointed out is not just a Black-owned business problem. Many businesses ran from different ethnic groups have problems with unprofessionalism, terrible customer service, but if the movement by Black can truly flourish, we can't expect a guarantee of service because it's Black-owned. We have to deliver acceptable service. We don't have the luxury of having a bad reputation that affects other Black-owned businesses that are just starting out. And we have to sustain in society, we have to make sure that we are not P's and Q's and deliver quality not just quantity. So to build strong principles, to build a strong foundation, you have to have strong communication. A 2014 study from about.com found that 62% of people that said they didn't like their jobs is because it was communication related. The consequences of not having good communication in the workplace, one of the results turns into rumors, gossip, suspicion, and resentment. Another result, it leads to poor customer service seems to be a connection. So today, I have a very special guest. I mean, all my guests have been special. I'm actually bringing family in today. I got one of my siblings here today, founder of NRG Consultant, ladies and gentlemen, my brother, Nate Ganson. Thank you, thank you for that lovely introduction, brother. I appreciate it. That's what I'm talking about. So I have to ask, since I brought you in here, because you're going to be the expert in this one. I'm just following you. This is your <laughs> word. I'm just living into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with NRG Consulting, what exactly do you do? So basically, what it's a consulting company. And my primary thing is uh, co-active coaching. Now, co-active coaching is a little different from the general term that you hear used by a lot of coaches out here. In the, uh, mm-hmm. in the industry and, you know, over the internet. Coactive coaching is really just uh, helping the individual or company or whomever you're assisting is to find their own way by asking them powerful questions and then listening more so than giving direction. My purpose is to go to a business or an individual, and if they have an issue, like let's say there's, you know, kind of stuck in one spot, they're in a rut where they can't figure out how to get from one point to the next. My goal is to listen to what their story is, what their issue is, and then ask them powerful questions to help them navigate through that, but only doing it so to where they're navigating themselves and they're finding the answer within the questions that I'm asking. So and um, based on our topic, you know, we're talking about businesses. You said communication. So an example would be one of my clients is a corporation. And one of their issues that the executives has is the, this, I guess it's like a a lack of communication between the employees and the executives and their complaints. So what I would do is I would come in, obviously give them a rundown or spiel of what I do as far as the purpose of my consulting company and the benefits and things that I offer. And then I would then talk to the employees to figure out what their gripes are with the employer. And then once I do that, I communicate this to the employee, to the employer. And then I actually find out what their issues are with the employees. And then I kind of let them meet in the middle and figure out how they can effectively communicate this between the two of them and look at it from a different perspective as opposed to it being a shouting match. And it's been successful. You know, I have my own techniques. I use like facilitation 
uh, tricks and techniques that I picked up along the way while I was going through my coaching certification just to like help them identify with each other better and communicate with each other better while they're in the room with one another. So that way they have a better understanding of where the other person's coming from. And they're doing a lot more listening as opposed to talking. So that's in a nutshell with an example included on what I do for my business. That's not the only thing, but that's the primary thing that I do. Got it. Got it. And the reason why I really wanted to bring you on after you mentioned what you do off the air was that Mm -hmm. even though we have a lot of black owned businesses really rising, like a lot of entrepreneurs, most of them are millennials. I think a lot of people, not just us, but a lot of young business owners, they're worried about turn a profit, which of course is important without profit, you can't sustain. But it's not just about getting customers, it's also making sure that you have, you're running a tight ship to deliver the service as expected. Absolutely. And one of the points that I point out at the beginning, the statistics was that well, um, if you're going to have a situation where you have employees, right? I'm not talking about a family business. Like You're at a point now where you're hiring employees that you probably don't know personally. You have to make sure that communication is vital. One of the things that you mentioned was to make sure you're actually listening as opposed to having a shouting match. So for what you found, what you discovered, is it mainly an issue with ego or you do you think as examples of the power struggle and maybe the manager doesn't know how to deal with people? What have you found has been like a common issue or what causes this inward tension between employer and employees? Well, my personal experience has been, and I can actually attest to this in my um, my regular nine to five job, um, I do something similar on that particular job as well. So what I've come to find is with people, their interpersonal skills, a lot of people lack social skills. Mm-hmm. And the reason why a lot of people are introverts is, and this is based off things that I've asked, you know, in facilitations that I've held on my, for my business as well as um, for my nine to five job. The main reason why is because people don't know how to effectively communicate with, with one another. You know, when a person tells you that they're listening, you can learn a lot about what that person's issues are and how that person handles things just based off, you know, what you're listening to. If I'm listening to you speak and you're telling me what your issues are, I can already have the resolution in my head, but a lot of people don't know how to listen properly. A lot of people don't know how to communicate their thoughts. So like if I want to help you, maybe I don't know how to articulate what it is that you're wanting me to do for you. So that's the the breakdown in communication is, is really what I find to be the major issue. And a lot of people just don't know how to do that effectively. And, you know, myself, as well as others who are in this field, our primary purpose is to show you other ways to communicate that's effective and that can kind of cater to how you are and what your personality is. Not everybody's going to be outgoing and going to be able to confront people, you know, directly. Maybe you're a little bit more soft-spoken than the next person. That's what my purpose is, to listen to you and hear you and kind of identify what your strong points are, what your weaknesses are, and just help you build your communication skills that way to where it'll be more effective. So to answer the question, the breakdown or lack of communication is definitely the issue as to why some managers, supervisors, any person in a position of power have issues with their subordinates. That's the primary reason that I've found to be true. Mm. And not only that, not only because they feel like my manager, supervisor, or whoever's in leadership is not listening to me, they also mm-hmm. feel underappreciated and that causes morale issues. So if employees don't have great morale, how can they deliver the service that you expect them to deliver? And especially when you have a lot of pressure for some black owned businesses, like outside of the beauty industry, in terms of recessional products or delivering service, that always can be very pivotal, right? Like how the customer service is. Because one of the most common complaints to up and coming company is they didn't provide good customer service. Well, why should I provide good customer service? The leadership don't even care about me, so why should they care about this position? Why should they care about this company? So I want to kind of lead into this, right? Because okay. we, especially when it comes to like working in a corporate environment, we know the term code switching. 
right? Right, exactly. Where we, where we kind of tweak our delivery to make it more universal because we might be in a workplace where they not might be familiar with our lingo, how we approach each other. So when we get around each other, right, it's like you're kind of taking off that mask of really watching what you say. So you're now you're working for a black owned business. You're running a black owned business, right? So once you usually see someone that looks like you, you feel like you know where they're coming from, you kind of let your guard down. And unfortunately, sometimes that means you let your professionalism down as well. Mm-hmm. And not everyone appreciates that, right? Some people do want to come and even though, hey, you look just like me, I appreciate seeing someone else like me. It doesn't mean I want you to be unprofessional when it comes to speaking with me. Exactly. So how would you approach that? I know you mentioned earlier that you don't necessarily have to conform to a certain way. You kind of maneuver around your personalities. So if you would have a client that's saying, hey, um, I'm thinking I'm doing a pretty good job. I thought if we speak like how we speak, then we should be fine. But clearly the employees don't appreciate that. Or maybe the manager doesn't appreciate that. How would you go about that? Because some people do feel if we have our own business that we should be able to maneuver how we want to maneuver. Is there a certain dynamic between professionalism and being comfortable? Well, the the safest way to do that, in my opinion, is to just be even keel all around, right? The Mm -hmm. one thing that you can do is be consistent in professionalism. You don't have to actually do code switching. What you want to do is when you're talking to somebody who looks like you, same, you know, uh, ethnic background, whatever the case may be. You want to be mindful of that, but you don't want to lose. And the way how you don't lose your professionalism is you just stick to the script. If you start swaying and going outside of the topic or whatever the issue is at hand, that's when you start to lose your professionalism. Because then the comfort level, you want to get the person comfortable to share mm-hmm. whatever it is that they're wanting to get. But... You don't want to lose focus on the point of why they're asking you for your help. Because, again, our stigma being, you know, small business or whatever black owned business is that we're unprofessional, unprofessional, our customer service is subpar or lackluster. These are the things that you want to stray away from. So you want to actually build a rapport with that person, but you keep it brief and keep it simple. You let them know and identify where where that, you know, understand that you know where they're coming from. But don't stray or go outside of the box with that. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you an example. If you have um, a black executive in a predominantly white corporation, and he has maybe two or three um, black people on his actual team, right? And the rest of the team is majority white. That black professional or that black executive is more than likely going to try to find a way to identify with those particular employees. He's singling them out because not because he's trying to purposely, you know, start a gap between them and the other employees, but he's just trying to form some sort of rapport with them and let them know that he's connected with them on a certain level. But what does that do with the other employees? If they can pick up on this vibe or they see it visibly, they're going to feel a way about it. And then mm-hmm. that's kind of isolating them from the situation. So if you keep it even keel, if they're having a one-on-one or in a group setting, it needs to be consistent all across the board. So what you do is if you have an individual where you, they feel as though you're singling out the black employees as opposed to me, and I feel like you're giving them special treatment, that's when you're going to find yourself boxed in because You've done something to make that person feel as though they're being isolated. The one way to do that is just not go outside of the box. An example of that is not using using certain phrases or, you know, jargon that we use amongst ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to actually go down that path of using certain slang terms, things of that nature. Because, again, that's... Even though you're being relatable to the person that you're speaking to that looks like you, that's still Mm -hmm. an unprofessional way of conducting business. So you want to stay within that realm of, you know, identifying with them. You can point out certain things. You know what I understand that I may have experienced at a time or two when I was in your position. But that's as far as you go in my experience. 
I don't actually go too far with it where I'm like relating to the person where they feel so comfortable that now, what if they're trying to get a service from you or buy something from you? They felt that you built up this rapport. You're one of their brothers, quote unquote. So now you don't have to, they shouldn't have to feel, they may feel like they don't have to pay full price. Something that you would have offered someone who does not look like you. So mm-hmm. you have to be careful. And there's a fine line between being relatable and being unprofessional. And and my advice would be to anybody who's, you know, who has a business or who's, you know, in a position of power like that, just stay within the lane. Don't go outside of those parameters. You know, find a small thing that you can relate to and move on from that. Don't stray out too far outside of that box because then you'll walk yourself down a hole that you can't get out of. That's, mm. that's my personal opinion and experience that I've had with it. Right. And I actually like that bar you drop. I might ask for sound effects of that one. You said <laughs> the difference between being relatable and being professional. <laughs> right. And I'm going to, yes, that's, that's, we're going to drop that. We're going to drop that sound bite soon. So anyway, um, I want to, and this is just, I'm just asking just your opinion now, right? A lot of mm-hmm. us growing up when we were exposed to a predominantly black business, black employees, black owner, black leadership, you can argue mm-hmm. that for the most part, it was in the hair industry, salons and barbershops. Right. Right. And usually in that setting, everything goes like there's no there's, sometimes there's a lack of decorum because it was like a haven for you to speak how you feel, how you felt. You get your service. The service was primarily based on you receiving the quality you want from your hairstyle or haircut. I know there's other factors involved. Like if you have an appointment, make sure you adhere to that appointment or the barber not constantly talking on the phone and walking out. But for the most part, you was in a workplace, right? Where it was mm-hmm. like another home to you. Do you think, and you're just, just in your opinion, right? Do you think that was a factor for many people in our communities that say, you know what, I want to start their own business, but they probably didn't have the exposure to how a workplace really was to conduct themselves? I think it plays a major factor in everything. Like, you know, for me personally, I used to actually go and, and invest a lot of time on the weekends to go to the barbershop. And a lot of reasons why, I mean, primarily is because the service was pretty decent, but I just felt like that was a safe space. You know, I can mm-hmm. go there. I can just be loose. I can actually, you know, have a rapport with the people in there. I may know some of the customers from being regulars. And, you know, I get that that vibe, it's a good vibe that you get. Because a lot of times, it's not necessarily, you may not have the best product. You may not have the best service. But it's just that, it's just the vibe or the feeling that people get when they deal with you on that on that level. Like, I will always give an example as far as um, Chick-fil-A in comparison to McDonald's. McDonald's mm-hmm. has commercials out the wazoo. Chick-fil-A does not. McDonald's is open 24-7. Chick-fil-A does not. Yet every time that I go, you know, when I would frequent these places, right, I no longer support McDonald's, but that's for my own personal reasons. But as far as Chick-fil-A is concerned, even if I'm passing by these places because they're close in proximity to where I live, you're you're always going to see a long line at Chick-fil-A. And that's Mm -hmm. not because the menu is so great and outrageous and the food is just so delicious. It's just the customer service and the type of vibe and treatment that you get when you go there. You know, you kind of like consider that, yeah, the food is decent, but I absolutely love their customer service. So that lets you know that even though people may not voice it, but customer service is really a key as to how long your business is going to stay, you know, in longevity, like how the longevity of your business is really going to determine on how well your customer service is. So what like a lot of our businesses in the black community, rather it be, you know, barbershops or hair salons, people go there not only for the service, but for the actual treatment that they get in that vibe, in that environment. They enjoy that. And I was one of those people. You know, I just made a conscious decision that it was just not, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, 
it wasn't cost effective for me to continue doing that. Considering, you know, I was transitioning and trying to do other things, it just didn't work for me. But that's the reason why I stayed and I went for so long, for so many years. And a lot of people, when they get into that, the one thing that they need to know is, yes, you have to have experience or at least know what you're doing. And we want to preach entrepreneurship and, and ownership so that way you can have something to pass down. And, you know, just that just that pride of owning your own thing and being your own boss. But the other aspect to that, which is what a lot of black businesses are criticized with, is the non-professionalism and the, the lack of customer service or good customer service. And then the fact that, you know, there's just the business etiquette is bad in a lot of cases. That's just the fact. And that's the reason why they get the bad rep because a lot of them have not taken out the time to either research or understand that if someone is criticizing you about that or they say that in particular about your business, don't take offense to it. Take it as, you know, criticism, constructive criticism, and see what it is that you need to do to resolve that so that way people feel differently about your business. Take pride in what you do. And I think that kind of ties back into effective communication and why it's so important for people to know that if you're thinking about going into a business, these are the first key things that you need to know. And that's going to help you sustain it right off the bat. Those basic things, those basic tools as far as communicating, understanding and being self-aware enough to understand what's wrong and what's lacking in your business and then taking the proper steps to correct that. And a lot of people don't do that. And that's why we get criticized a lot in the black community because people want, everybody wants to be a boss, but nobody wants to take the steps to becoming a boss and, and remaining a boss. That's that. That's the thing. Maintaining success. You can open the business, but even more importantly, how can you maintain it and sustain it to where you know it, it brings you money and it's lucrative and it's something that you can be proud of to say, you know what, I have a product here and everybody else sees it or views it just the way I do, because that's the end goal, not just opening the business but sustaining one. Right. And then that was a little long so, as far as the response. <laughs> no, no, that was great. No, that was great. That was great because you touch on many things that have felt inspiring or existing entrepreneurs need to know, right? Because when you when you think about it, that's true. You want the title. You you definitely pat yourself in the back. Now I'm not trying to criticize that, right? You should be happy if you successfully opened your own business. You got your tax ID, you got your business license, you just basically accomplish your first step. But right. are you in there for the variety or are you in there for the actual end goal? Because the end goal is to have a sustainable business that you actually passed down. There's no generational wealth of that business in the two years because you didn't build principles and virtues. I think that separates the sustainable companies from the ones that are going to turn over within three to five years. Because right. You have to build certain values. So it's like, if I have an expectation on what this employer is asking of me, I know what falls into it. It's not like a freestyle. It's not just about making money. This is the kind of service that we are expecting to treat each other with so that we can mm -hmm. transfer that to our service or product that we're trying to deliver. You mentioned Chick-fil-A. I'm sure Chick-fil-A, like companies I've been a part of, they had their principles and values somewhere on all these training rooms where it's like, hey, this is what we're expecting from you. And this is how we expect them to deliver to our customers. So it's not enough that we're open. This is how we're going to build a rapport. This is how we're going to build relationships. If a customer feels comfortable, they'll always keep coming back. And in the word of mouth is enough marketing rather than those commercials. Exactly. So to transition into that, Speaking of expectations, <laughs> so I know that you've heard about this whole true kitchen controversy. I have. For, yeah, for whoever don't know, uh, Kevin Kelly and this uh, restaurant he owns called True Kitchen, I believe it's in Dallas, Texas. He asked these ladies several times to stop twerking on top of the furniture. Um, apparently, the third time was a charm, and that was the time where someone 
pulled their phone out and recorded. But what went viral was him, you know, in a very explicit way, basically saying, look, if you're not going to stop twerking, if you're not going to respect my business, then you can leave. I'm trying to build something for our culture. And I can't ask the fellas to respect themselves if the ladies won't do the same. I don't need your money. Um, if you don't like it, get the F out. It was a session what he said. So I'm going to put you in the hot seat. The employers, <laughs> the, the workers underneath are asking, hey, I need, we need your help because I don't, some employees probably felt we was coming from, agree with it. And some employees are like, you can't talk to the customer like that. How can you expect us to be professional and you're cursing out our patrons? So they're asking you, how would you approach this? So you're coming in, you saw the viral moment. How would you discuss that with the owner on what happened and how to move forward with the employees kind of looking at that differently on what expectation is or the standards that's trying to be conveyed when they approach customers? Well, there's a couple of things. There's layers to this. Okay, so I'm just going to break this down in the layers and then give my uh, final response as to how I would handle it. So a couple of mm-hmm. things that I wanted to point out was when you're dealing with a situation like that and then the climate that we're in, right? This is the cancel culture. That's, like, that's at a high rate at this point. So people are looking for any reason to diminish the point. It's important to understand the context into what that video was about. You know, we, we saw a clip that you see, if you know the entire story, just like you pointed out, they were asked several times before. Now, the, the problem was the delivery. OK, I agree with the owner in a sense that this is his business and he gave his reasons as to why and his purpose and everything. But sometimes it's just like the old saying, it's not what you say, but how you say it. Right. Mm. So that plays a point. That plays a part in what this was about. Now, if I was being hired as a consultant to come to this particular restaurant in this establishment and I'm going to talk with the employees, I'm sure there's going to be a divide. Some of them are going to be in favor of what he did. Others are not. Right. That's understandable because not everyone's supposed to agree with everything. We all have our own perspectives. My job would be in this particular situation is just to get them to underline the bottom line point was he is establishing something for his business. Okay. And the point of him saying what he said and the reason why he gave that speech prior to making the derogatory statement afterwards was he wants people to understand this is the reason why I built this business. So he's kind of justifying his point that's about to come next. The one issue with that that I would have is the delivery in which he said it, right? We're still dealing with black women and they're still supposed to be held to a certain regard. And this is based off of public perception because now there's other people in the room. And regardless of how you feel, you have to take, you have to be emotionally intelligent enough. And part of that, one of the four elements of that being emotionally intelligent is self-awareness. He has to be aware of where he is and the moment in which he's saying it. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes for people to kind of like take yourself out of it in that moment and realize that there's a bigger issue here. If you're saying the wrong things, it can always or easily be blown out of context. So what he probably should have done or what I would have recommended him do is basically specify that this is his business. This is his way. I would appreciate if you guys would not do that. And if you have an issue with what I'm saying, you can feel free to leave. We're not, you know, I'm not going to hold against you. I think that when you make inflammatory remarks like that, no one's going to take kindly to saying, get the F out. I don't care Mm -hmm. what your point was. It almost like it dilutes the point that you were making when you end it in a negative way that way. So that's the reason why, because I went back and I know you and I spoke offline about about it and I didn't really elaborate on it because at the time I just saw the clip. Once I started digging and gotten a little bit more information, a little bit more context to it, 
I can understand why people were in uproar about it. It's not the issue should be that you know they didn't they they weren't they weren't allowed to twerk. The issue should have been how he addressed it and the tone in which he used ending it. Because for me, how I looked at that, it kind of diluted his point and it didn't drive it all the way home. It kind of like muted everything else that he had said prior to that. So I would advise him when you deliver a, a message like that, especially to a public audience, you have to be mindful on how people are going to receive this information. We get the point. The underlying point is this is your business, your establishment, and these are the reasons why you opened it. We get that part. But what you also want to do is these are still patrons at the end of the day. And they did, you know, pay to, to eat in that restaurant or whatever the case may be. They're supporting you. But what you need to do is to get the point home is there's a, a, a different way or a different approach that he could have used in that moment. But I think because of the frustration and then the climate that we're in, he felt the need to to voice his, you know, voice his, his, his policy or whatever his stance was at that moment in that way. And I think it was a little harsh. I think it could have done, he could have said that a little different. Now, what I would advise the patrons at that time was understand that his stance is this is his business. And yes, we understand that you're supporting it, but at the end of the day, he wants a certain clientele in there. So unless that's something that, you know, was authorized or you had knowledge before coming there that that was the type of environment that, that was for, you know, recognize that he could have said that better and he didn't mean any harm by it, but just this particular type of thing that you guys are used to or, you know, used to doing, you can't do that here. And that needs to be aware. So in other words, if he wants to set that tone for his restaurant going forward and he doesn't want that type of behavior, a couple of suggestions I would give him was the music. Professional, you know, you can go into a five-star restaurant, they're not playing Future or any other artists like that. Right. They, they don't deem that as being professional. The environment, the ambiance, people are coming there for a specific reason, Right. If you're going in there to turn up, so to speak, like how they were thinking, well, then don't play music like that, that that's going to kind of confuse the message that you're trying to convey as far as the overall atmosphere of the restaurant. So I guess the expectations weren't really put out there as to what, what he wanted people to actually adhere to because the rules were blurred. That's the reason why they felt comfortable doing that because of the music that was playing. There's a lot of different things. You need to make it clear what your intentions are and what you want your restaurant atmosphere to be like. And, and you as the business owner, it's your responsibility to put that message out there, rather it be by signs or something stating that this is the reason why. And then also if somebody tries to violate that and they're aware, and you've made them aware by having these signs or whatever other op options that you could have used, you need to be very careful on how you how you actually approach that situation and how you address the issue. Because again, the point can be diluted if they receive it a certain way based on the tone that you're using and the language that you use. And again, that's still a part of effective communication. He didn't communicate effectively. He started off strong, but then he ended it kind of weak when he when he ended it in that negative way. And that's the reason why he's getting the backlash. Because had he come across a different way, it probably wouldn't have been blown out of proportion. It's just because of the language that he used. And then a couple other factors, because everything is being recorded in this day and age. So you just have to be mindful of that and be more self-aware. But those would be the, the couple of things that I would actually point out. And my initial you know, observation of what took place when I speak to both parties, I would give them those tips on how they could have done it better. And then going forward, what you would want to be aware on how you use what your tone is. And instead of saying things that's blatantly going towards that other person and, and notifying what they're doing, he said, I could have probably done a better job of doing X, Y, and Z. And how can we resolve this issue? 
when you use terms like we as opposed to you, it's not coming off as defensive as, as some people would receive it. And mm-hmm. you'll normally get a better response. But when you start pointing the finger and saying this and, you know, acting like you're dictating what's going on, we understand that it's your business, but there's a way to talk to people because they're still humans at the end of the day. And majority of them, I would assume, would, would, were adults. And, you know, everybody deserves a certain level of respect. And, you know, that again, that's a part of professionalism. You, you shouldn't use language like that when you're trying to get your point across because it's almost like, you know, a lack of vocabulary just means that you don't really know how to articulate your point to the point where someone cannot feel offended by it. And in that moment, he probably could have used, you know, better terminology in my, you know, in my observation. So that's, that's what I would actually do if I was hired on to do that. That particular job and consult with them. Got it. And just to add a little tidbit to it, not only are the things that you named, which you eloquently pointed out there, but if you're, it's kind of a contradiction, right? Because if you're saying this is a professional setting, yet you drop an F bomb and accent the pitch right. move, you kind of contradicted your whole speech. It's like, okay, right. you have you in the first half, but then. You kind of went here, so it's like, well, are we any different? You're thinking I'm reckless for dancing on furniture. You're reckless for telling customers to get the F up. Yep. And now they have a reason to, you know, to challenge that. Now, here's here's my challenge to you because now you're coming at me and I didn't curse at you. So now it's a back and forth. And now the point that you originally were trying to make is missed because now you're talking about something else. That small piece that you, you know didn't didn't say correctly or didn't express in, in a way where it was respectful. Now the whole point is missed and now we're just talking about one part of it. Not the the main point is missed now because you missed it. You dropped the ball on that one. So you're right. That is a contradiction. Mm. I tell you Nate, Nate is dropping facts both of us because our <laughs> Nate. So that's the right. choice. Safe choice. So <laughs> another another thing I want to kind of bring up, right, is relationships in the workplace. And mm-hmm. we all have dealt with that in some way, shape, or form. But right. I want to talk about the dynamic of couples, whether it's a married couple or boyfriend and girlfriends that want to start a business together and they get to a point of hiring employees. The reason why I felt the need to bring this up because you actually see a lot of, I guess I don't, I don't have the true statistics. Usually I bring a lot of stats that can be backed up on the show, but just mm-hmm. on a perception, you see a lot of couples that you look at all these um, podcast, business podcasts or these business opportunities. So you know, we should do that together. And the only issue with that is it's not always a happy ending because just because you're in a relationship doesn't mean that you agree about how the business should be ran. So I don't know if you already experienced this already, but what is your take if you in a relationship, you have a disagreement with your partner on how to conduct or even conduct, not only conduct themselves around employees, but how to manage employees? Because I would assume that would be tougher, right? Because it's one day of two coworkers where they can like kind of take in your advice and they can go to their respective homes and, you know, kind of dwell like, okay, well, I get it. And then learn that professional medium when they get back to the workplace. How do you approach a couple that might be co-owners or whatever, and they both are in leadership, but they're having disagreements with each other, and they have to go home to each other? Like, I'm assuming that's a different kind of challenge. What would your advice on that be? It's interesting that you asked that question because I do have um, – I do have a couple, and they're an older mm. couple, that went into business together. And they are having some issues because the husband actually wanted to hire uh, this woman that was qualified. She was a younger woman. I'm assuming she was attractive and might have been a little bit intimidating to the wife. Mm. And the wife refused to do that. And she wanted to hire a guy. And then the, guy, the husband fell away because... She wanted to hire this guy, and he felt one was more qualified than the other. So the problem with that is there's a couple of things that you have to get out in the open when you decide to open a business with your partner. 
First of all, the emotional intelligence has to be there. You have to take your feelings out of it. And I don't think that that's something that they had discussed prior to opening this business. So, and they have a restaurant business and it's in the area, you know, in this, in the DMV area where, where I live. So this particular case, the person that came to me initially was the husband. I guess he actually was the sole, you know, the sole owner of the company. And I think he brought his wife in as a co-owner. And I don't know what her capacity is, but, you know, he says that that's his business partner. Right. Mm. So one, the first thing is you have to establish what their position is in the company. Right. That's one thing. The other thing that you have to establish is does your partner have or have the ability to exercise emotional intelligence? It is so key and crucial for a person to have emotional intelligence just in general day to day life but especially when it comes to business and running a business with your significant other, because you have to remove your personal feelings aside. You have to push that aside and say, what's best for the business? What's the bottom line? And the bottom line is if this person is actually going to be hired and if they're the right person for the job, then you have to set your personal feelings aside. Now, the other part of that is, what other issues do you guys have in your relationship to where this would be an issue? Because at this stage of the game, that shouldn't be in question. Now you have trust issues. So something else must be going here, going on here. So now we have to dive into those particular questions. Like, why do you feel the need to challenge your husband in his decision to hire this woman? And she has to give an answer. And if that answer is anything other than that person being not qualified, then there's a major issue here and a bigger issue here that needs to be resolved. So before we can even go down the business road, we have to look at the personal relationship between those two people and figure out what's lacking in their relationship to allow her or to even lead her to thinking that way about her significant other. Why don't you trust his judgment? You trusted him to be in a business with him, but then when he makes a business decision, why is there an issue with that? And they have to address that. And sometimes a lot of people don't want to, you know, have accountability and realize that it has nothing to do with the business. It's something personal now that's going on that's going to ultimately affect the business. So the one thing that you would want to do, and my advice would be to people who are expecting to you know, create a business with their significant other is make sure that your relationship is solid first before doing so. You have to make sure that the person is emotionally intelligent and they, you know, they actually have all of those factors that come along with that. Because if you don't have those things, then that's going to, that's going to cause issues as far as, you know, uh, trust, you're not going to be able to trust the person if you know if you feel as though they're not going to do right. You have to have social awareness. You have to have good relationship management, meaning that you know how to navigate this relationship personally and on a professional level when it comes to us sharing a business or going into business together. So those are the key things. If your if your relationship or your foundation in your own personal relationship is rocky or if it's cracked or faulty then your business relationship is not going to be much better because there's always going to be some sort of personal ties that you're holding on to as to why, you know, you're either not going to fully let go or fully be transparent or make a decision that's going to ultimately affect both of you. You're using or your intentions become different. The lines can become blurred when you have that type of issue. So I've witnessed that first with those two. Once we got past the initial problem of what was going on in their own relationship, it seems as though something that he had done in the beginning of the relationship caused his wife to have insecurities. And her insecurities kind of bled into the business and the business decisions that were being made because there was infidelity in the relationship early on. They had been together for like, I want to say about 10 to 12 years. But early on in the relationship, the trust was broken. 
when he cheated. And it was with his assistant when he worked in another office. So that ultimately is something that she had not gotten over. And that ultimately made her insecure when it came to him hiring a woman, especially if the woman looked of, was of a certain caliber. So now we're not even over this stuff that happened, you know, five, six years ago or, or however long ago it was. They're mm-hmm. not, she's not over that. So therefore that's going to be a continuously thing. And she's internalized this and has never really addressed that issue with him. And she said that she forgave him, but in actuality, she hasn't because she's still holding on to that. And ultimately, this is going to affect your business because if you're not hiring the most qualified person and you're basing it off of a personal issue that you had with something that he had done in the past, that's not that's not productive. That's counterproductive. And you're going to be doing a disservice to your business as a whole. So now you have to make a decision on you know, eventually that's going to be a lot of resentment and eventually that's going to cause conflict within. And then the household is going to be disrupted by that because you can't, if you're a couple and you have a business, when you come home, whatever that was, that was an issue in the business is now going to come and spill into the home. And then now it's an issue where it becomes bigger and, you know, that's going to cause conflict. And then that's going to cause a lack of communication one of the two parties is going to shut down, which exactly is what happened with that situation. And then accountability or lack thereof on his part, not admitting to his infidelities in the beginning, that's going to ultimately allow her to still have resentment towards him because he's not taking full responsibility for his actions early on. And then we even went as far as to dive into why he actually cheated. And, you know, it was no fault of hers. It was just some some of the insecurities that he was dealing with. So the point of that is, I said all of that to say, you have to make sure that your foundation is really strong. And that personal relationship, because there are going to be some decisions that's going to be tough that you guys are going to have to make individually and collectively. And if you don't have a strong foundation and you have issues that have arrived as has arisen like these, like this couple that I mentioned, then it's going to just go to pieces. Luckily for them, they both were willing to take accountability over the course of time. It took them some time to get to that point, but they had to build a safe space. And I just so happened to be the mediator to allow each one of them to express their thoughts and not have any judgment in that moment. Just let that person get whatever's on their heart or whatever they're feeling. And then we can come together and work and talk through it. Because that's that's the easiest way to resolve a lot of issues is talking through it and understanding where the other person's perspective is and where they're coming from. Once you understand that and you understand your role and the part you played in it, then you'll have a better opportunity to resolve that issue. And then cooler heads will prevail. But if you have two people that's not willing to accept responsibility for what their part was in it, then there's going to be conflict and there's going to be people shutting down and the communication and the, the barrier is going to be put up in the wall. And then that internalizes things and it's just going downhill from there. So those are the key things that I would tell people who are thinking about getting into a business together as a couple. Just make sure your foundation is solid because that's, that's key. It is, you know, as minuscule as it may sound and it's easier said than done, you have to make sure that you guys are taking the necessary steps to make sure that that foundation is strong. And whatever it is that you need to do, I wouldn't necessarily jump right into a business because especially not together, if those things are not you know, taken care of first. So that would be my answer in response to that one. Going, going forward, right? Because I, I feel like we, we brought a lot of scenarios and you, you respond to them in a great measure. I don't believe I even asked you what even inspired you to create NRG Consulting? Well, that's another great question. So initially, some years ago, I had actually got fired from my job. And I was actually going through a separation at the time. So everything was just, it seems like when it rained, it poured. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and change careers. Because I, had, at this point, 
reached my ceiling in this one particular thing, which I was doing procurement. So I said, I need to do something else. What is my strong suit? So I actually went back, reviewed my resume and looked at all of the things and highlighted skills that I've had and I've carried on through all of my positions since I first started working in the professional or corporate world. And the one thing that stood out and the one thing that's the most important to me is customer service. I've always been good or excelled in that particular area. And I know I didn't want to be a customer service rep. I know I didn't want to be a customer service supervisor. I wanted to be a little bit bigger and look at the bigger picture and actually help others develop the skill set because it's pretty simple to me because it's just how I operate, right? Mm -hmm. So what I did was I just went through, highlighted these things, and then I actually looked at jobs that were like a customer service relationship manager or something like that. Somebody that's going to be the, I don't know, the, I guess you could say the, um, um, the word is escaping me now, but like the person that's the, I forgot what you call that, but it's basically the person that's, um, that's setting up these companies and let, giving them advice on how they should give or provide better customer service, the liaison, if you will, right? Oh. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be this person. And in the midst of me doing that, I actually wrote a book on customer service. Now, I never published the book, <laughs> but <laughs> the goal was to like write down because it started out as a journal and then it then became a book. So then I had actually talked to a few people that had actually written some books and they were like, man, you should really get this published and telling me the steps of doing this. And in the midst of me doing that, I actually found a job. It wasn't the job that I wanted, you know, not the ideal position, but a job nonetheless. So then, you know, eventually I um, got another job and got another opportunity presented to me. And this position, this particular position was created for me based off of what I had already been doing as far as highlighting my skills in customer service. So this person who had actually recognized my skill set was like, this would be ideal. I've been wanting to fill this position for the longest. You're qualified for it. We're going to create a position based off of your resume and your skill set. That's ideal. This kind of opportunity kind of fell in my lap. So I took that. I started this position and... I had actually, in the process of doing this prior to this, I had actually started a business. And I just wanted to do a consulting business where I'm like consulting people on customer service in particular. And that's how the NRG Consulting came about. What I did was I I kind of reframed the direction of the business and refocused the purpose. So initially it was going to be just customer service and writing this book and going in that direction. But then when I actually started at my job, my nine to five job, I was able to go through a coaching facilitation certification program. And um, during this process of being a co-active coach, that's why I picked up these, these skills and increased my emotional intelligence and, excuse me, learned about self-awareness and listening and, and uh, what your approach is and looking at things from a different perspective. So it was almost like counseling for me. So in the midst of me going through this, now my divorce is finalized and I started this new job. Now I have this coaching and now I have this different perspective. So then I started looking at the consulting company that I that I have and I just changed the narrative. Instead of me giving people advice on customer service, now I'm going to take it a step further and start using coactive coaching. I looked at the market of coaches. There's several coaches online, but there's not too many male, black male coactive coaches. Mm-hmm. That's like, a, a, it's a it's a niche field. So when I saw that and I saw that there was a need for that, I said, man, this is it right here. And me being a veteran, um, that also helped. So if it's a black owned, veteran owned company, you know, that's another unique market that I would be in also. So that's what kind of made me change my shift and my focus towards coactive coaching. And then I started learning facilitations or facilitating and, you know, getting with small groups of people and then 
You know, I joined Toastmasters, which is, you know, public speaking and how to be a leader and how to communicate effectively from that standpoint of communicating or trying to articulate a point to a group of people, you know, rather it be a small group or a large group. So all of these things were tools for me that I was using to kind of formulate what my process was going to be. So that's what kind of gravitated me into the whole NRG consulting. I had started the business when I was unemployed. And then once I had actually gotten a job that, you know, ideally that I wanted, that kind of fit my criteria and what I wanted to do, I kind of expanded on it. And that's when I started getting like business and clients. I got hit up because I don't have a website officially yet, but I actually have a LinkedIn page. Once I had updated that LinkedIn page, I started getting business by referrals and by word of mouth. And that's how I got off, you know, a lot of my contracts and a lot of my customers. And then more recently, I, I wouldn't say more recently, but probably like as far back as June, um, you know, I went out and I was out to dinner with my daughter and out I was explaining to her the the importance of communication. And I broke this thing down in Cheesecake Factory. I'm in a restaurant and a couple next to me overhears this conversation. And they had a daughter that was kind of stuck in a rut and she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do. And I'm talking to my 16 year old about choices and what you need to do and how to move forward and how to navigate through these issues as a teenager and looking at things through a different lens, uh, which ultimately helped her you know, make the honor roll and, and have a better relationship with her mom and myself included. Mm-hmm. This conversation that I was having with my daughter, they overheard it. They asked me, man, I wish you would talk to my to my daughter about stuff like that. And then they in turn started talking to me and I gave them my information, my card. And then that turned into two or three different business ventures right there. Like they became, their daughter became a client of mine just by me sitting in the restaurant and then, you know, eavesdropping on our conversation. So the point of it is, you know, sometimes you have a plan and you will set something up like me setting up that business. I knew I wanted to open a business. I just didn't know which direction I wanted to go into. And then these things that kind of like these seeds were planting or being planted for me. And I just, you know, gravitated towards this. And this was like my vision overall. And it was a passion of mine. So it was something that I enjoyed doing. So it just made sense to go in that direction and change the focus of the business to that type of consulting for that particular reason. And that's how I got into it. That's how it came about. It was just a thought one day when I was unemployed because I my back was against the wall. And then I kind of like refocused the vision of the company. And, you know, it's been it's been paying off in dividends for me since because I actually do more with that than I do with my <laughs> nine to five. So I said, I, I must be on to something. So that's why I continue to do it and go down that path. So that's how it started. That's not only, that's, that's definitely a, a great testimony because even us being brothers, I didn't fully know the whole story. And that's, that's really, that's really inspiring to a lot of people because some people, like you, right? They want to open a business or maybe they're not happy in their career field now. And they're wondering like, how do I go about it though? What direction do I take? And I'm sure you're going to have a couple of obstacles or maybe some failing ventures, but that's okay. As long as you follow that passion and kind of have that self-reflection and not only self-reflection, but I know as you mentioned this term a lot, that emotional intelligence does seem like half the battle is your actual mentality on how you approach things. Absolutely. I, and, I, and just to piggyback on what you just said. So I do mention emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence, if you have that, or if you can master that, the four elements of it, the self-awareness, the self-management, uh, discipline, social awareness, relationship management. When you break those things down individually and you really study it, and they have courses on it, you know, our sister, <laughs> shameless mm-hmm. plug, Keisha Rivers of the Cars Group, she actually has, um, you know, some park, a podcast as well. And she actually has her website, which kind of goes in depth about emotional intelligence and how important of a role that plays in your everyday life. It, it can be with relationships with your, your kids, your friends, your parents, 
whomever. If you master that, you can kind of navigate through any obstacle that's put in front of you because your perspective is going to change based on the situation that's in front of you. So with me and my situation, I didn't look at that situation as a dead end. As I said, I'm already, to me, I had already faced rock bottom at that point. So the only place I can go is up. And I, I always considered myself to have a strong mental fortitude. So for me, I just used that energy that was just laying around that could possibly turn into me excessively doing something that was a bad habit, like drinking, smoking, whatever the case may be. Instead of me channeling that energy in that direction, I decided to do something else that's more productive and not feeling sorry for myself, but realizing that maybe this was all done for a reason for me to refocus on something that's that's a higher purpose or a higher calling. And that's mm. what I did. So you really have to have emotional or strong emotional intelligence to in order for you to pick up on that innate ability to, to read certain things that are happening in your life. And, you know, basically take advantage of those situations. Every situation that happens to you is not necessarily a bad thing. It may have happened to you for a reason to realize, to wake you up and say, that's not the direction that I need you to be going in. I need you to go here. But I had to do that to wake you up and get you refocused to where you could focus your energy or your, you know, your ideas on this particular thing as opposed to what you were doing. And that's what I did. I just rechanneled my energy. And I didn't share it with a lot of people, but the truth of the matter is, for me, I know in my own personal story, when my backs are when my back is against the ropes, it seems as though I performed better when that when those things happen. And it kind of like motivates me to do things on a higher level. So as opposed to me feeling sorry and telling everybody about what took place trying to get pity, I instead tried to like mask it and made it seem like everything was okay so no extra attention would be drawn on me for that reason to try to discourage me from my main goal which was if I had any type of issues it was going to be for me to become as successful as possible and if I felt you know any ill will towards any other person the best way to get that back as opposed to trying to be vengeful and do something petty you know which I've had the tendency to do in the past I just mm -hmm. channeled that energy to just be as successful as possible and let the end result speak for itself because all of these other things are falling in line. Once you get out of character, get off your square and you start focusing in on those things that are irrelevant to your goal or your purpose in life, that's when you fall victim to the nonsense and all these other things start happening to you. And as the people in the church would say, you know, the devil is busy. That's when he's busy because you're not focused on what you need to be doing. If you cut out all of the nonsense, right, and you just focus your energy on the things that you want to pursue, none of those other things are going to affect you. But we as human beings, by nature, we're easily distracted by certain things. And some people come into your life as distractions in addition to some things that are happening around you. That's why you have to surround yourself with certain people that are on the same page and you have to like... When you see nonsense, go in the opposite direction because it's not worth it. And if it's not going to help you, it's going to hinder you. One of the two things are going to happen. It's either going to help you or hinder you. And I'm not in the business of hindering or being hindered. I'd rather go in a direction where somebody's going to be around me that we can build and I can learn something from that person or add value to that, that person's life and vice versa for them and mine. I'm not really in the business of entertaining nonsense. So when I see it, if I see nonsense on social media, sometimes I got to turn that stuff off because it's just white noise, really. So that was that was my that thing. I just wanted to add to that because it's important to have that. And I, I would advise everyone to actually go and learn more about emotional intelligence. You know, go look at some videos on YouTube. This is free information that you can get. That'll help you be a better person. And then, you know, it'll help you in your business and whatever venture you're trying to pursue because it's just useful information and it's free. Mm. Wise words. And in closing, if anyone wants to reach out to you, um, not only for NRG Consulting, I know you mentioned LinkedIn, 
um, the just overall advice because when it comes to dropping gems, bro, have it. He has full ammunition. I'm just letting you know from experience. <laughs> so for the people out there that wants to reach out to you, um, how can they reach out to you? Well, um, they can actually look me up by first and last name on LinkedIn. Um, and if they want, they can also look me up on uh, Facebook as well. And just by putting in my first and last name um, on IG. I haven't gotten to the Twitter part yet. I'm going to actually get with our older siblings to put me on a game about the Twitter or or I can actually get your advice on it because that's not my area of expertise. Of um, course. Or they can actually send me an email because I do uh, get a lot of uh, referrals through email and um, I can get that out as well. It's going to be my first initial in my last name, G-A-D-S-D-E-N at gmail.com. And, you know, all of those things, all of those avenues you can reach out to me on, I'm always available. I am very uh, receptive to, you know, emails and things of that nature. I'm, I reply right away or as soon as I can. It's never like a two or three day wait, you know. So those are the things, those are the um, areas I can be reached on, those platforms. I'm still trying to gain. Soon I'll be having a website, which I'll be able to update on my LinkedIn page. You know, I'll be creating a YouTube and some things are going to be coming in the near future. So just be on the lookout for that. Oh, absolutely. And when those things come, we'll be glad to have you back on the Messages Moving podcast because every day we kind of break these cycles. And when we come to breaking generation curses, once you identify them on here, on this platform, we create and we have a dialogue on how to take the steps necessary so that our generations have experienced the same generation curse that we went through. And with that being said, thanks again for tuning in to The Message is Moving. To my guest, Big Bro, I appreciate it. We definitely got to do it again. Oh, most definitely, man. I appreciate you having me on here. I'm going to spread the word so everybody can tune in and check out this podcast. This is dope. It's beat.